Welcome back in. Spencer Sherman with you. 92-3, the fan. For those keeping score at home or just watching the score at home, Akron 83, Kent 70. Just went final. Boom. All right, Zips. I got a hot take about the Zips, actually. Uh, I was I felt good about them winning tonight. I was like, yeah, let's have some fun with this. And I, I got a take for you guys during Hot Take Friday. We'll do that in an hour. Hoping to get in touch with uh, my good friend John Doss here in a moment to talk. We're going to talk Browns, but we're also going to talk Cavs because apparently he's got something he really wants to get off his chest about uh, one Darius Garland. We'll see what he has to say. Cavs, by the way, are currently leading by one, 23-22. In the, uh, in the first quarter. So we'll see what they can do. They're in Philly tonight, hoping to avenge last night's loss to Orlando. Second game back after the uh, All-Star break, and they're looking to bounce back and, and win the second of their first two games back, second out of a back-to-back as well. Let's go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. He is a good friend of mine in the show. He's the sports director at News Channel 5, WEWS. He joins us now on the hotline. It's John Doss. What's up, John? You guys appear to be still having AT&T issues, given how difficult it was for me to get connected <laughs> what, wait, here. What happened? No, I, mean, I probably sounded like a fool when you guys called me, and I'm, hello, 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 and nobody's talking to me. I was probably muted myself, but... <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? That happens when you get older. You know, you just start pushing buttons. That you well, it's eight o'clock, and it might as well be midnight for me. The fact <laughs> you asked me to do this this late in the day—how dare you? You didn't even pay. You didn't even push back. I always ask. I'm like, hey, is this is it okay? Are you available? And you said, sure, absolutely. Well, so. on the rare occurrence that you ask me to do this, and I'm not on vacation somewhere, I usually will say yes. Even when you're on vacation, you say yes, which is why that's true. My wife does hate you. <laughs> That's why you're at the top of the list as my favorite guest for the show. Because you you say yes, rain, sleet, snow, doesn't matter. You'll be there. That's you're you're like the postman. That's all that matters. I like to be available for you. You know that. That's because you show up to my house and most recently took money. I think at the poker table. No, I lost. I lost. Money. Oh, did you? I okay. Mean, you, well, you, you, I, you you didn't take my money, but I I definitely ended up walking away with with less. Money I haven't left. taken anybody's money in months, unfortunately. <laughs> Yours or otherwise. Oh man. Well, we'll see if March has better fortunes for me or and you. But um, speaking of good fortunes, the Browns got some really good news today. With the salary cap ballooning to $255 million, a $30 million jump from what it was last year. My big question for you on this, because Andrew Barry said at the senior bowl, I think he was talking to the athletic, Zach Jackson, um, he mentioned that it wasn't necessarily a must-do move to you know rework Deshaun's deal and push some money down the line. How much less likely do you think it is that they do that, given this announcement of the cap today? I would say significantly less likely, right? That's that frees up a lot of cash that you were worried about not having because this is a organization that has had the luxury of having a ton of cap room, right? Yeah. The last handful of years, but now it's catching up to them. Watson's contract, Garrett's contract, Ward's contract. You got to sign some of these young guys like MJ Emerson. So uh, it's hard for me to believe 
you know, it, it's a two-way street, right? The organization has to want to restructure it in a certain way that is beneficial for the team, and the player has to also do that. And uh, let's see if that works out between these two. Is this at all – like? All I'm yeah, no, I <laughs> – I, I'm curious, like Barry saying that out loud um, publicly, um, the fact that the cap just ballooned today, like if they don't renegotiate or rework the contract and, and push some money down to these 40 years that they've added on to it, is that admission going into year three of this deal that even they maybe have some concerns about Deshaun Watson moving forward and whether or not this deal is going to end up worth it, where they're like, hey, we got to get some of this money off the books because it actually might not work out. Well, you know, Andrew Bear is a human being, too, and so are the people in this organization. And They have watched what we have watched the last two years, and they can say all the right things, which they are, and, and we have seen flashes of what could be a really good quarterback, right, the Tennessee game and the second half against Baltimore. These are the things that we're going to keep going back to, right, to keep our optimism up and to keep our um, – to keep us buoyed, right, but – I think this is an organization that's not blind. They understand that Deshaun Watson has not paid off in the way that they had hoped he would. And I think that there's still optimism that he could get there. But you're right. I don't think that this is a player that right now they're ready to tie themselves to for another couple of years. And and the fact that Barry would say that also leads me to believe, and I have no reason to think this other than my own personal beliefs is that maybe they've already had conversations with Watson and his camp, and maybe they're not to the point yet that they, that they could come to some kind of agreement on a restructure. Yeah, that's fair. Talking with John Dawson, the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. Uh, in terms of free agency, I, I think wide receiver seems to be a, a position that everyone's talking about being a top priority for this team. And everybody in their mother's lining up to sort of rattle off who they, their favorite target could be for the Browns. Do you think it's more likely, though, especially given where this team's at financially, and, and even though the cap balloons the way it did today, they're still going to be up against it, um, even if they create some some extra space. Do you think it's more likely that they sign a, a wide receiver in free agency and, and, and maybe overpay for somebody, or that they would do what they've kind of done with guys like Zadarius Smith and Amari Cooper and maybe swing a trade for a wide receiver? I, I'm not sure. Really? I mean, we haven't seen Andrew Barry concentrate on a skill position player like that. Like Amari Cooper's been the only one that really has been, I mean, the biggest skill position signing that this team has had. This team has had so many other focuses. And now that they've got the secondary defensive line depth, uh, linebackers are much better than we thought. Although I think we all agree that they probably need to add at least another piece there. Uh, Offensive line depth is something that as you've seen is important uh, within this organization, but it seems now is the time for the move to the wide receiver, doesn't it? Like we speculated it on it last year, but there were other pieces that they needed and we weren't quite sure David Bell and some of these younger guys, how they were going to pan out. It feels like right now wide receiver is the move they need to make one way or the other. What other And, go ahead, and go ahead. depth in the backfield, obviously. Yeah, for sure. What um, You're not – we, we, it's pretty much been put to bed. Nick Chubb's coming back, right? Because it's, 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 it's funny, John, because like we we taught we brought this up like last year, I know on this station and it was a topic of conversation like, oh, that, you know, that that could be something that we have to talk about next year. And it feels like now all of a sudden, like the national media has jumped on board and they're all everyone and their mothers now writing about writing a story about how Nick Chubb could be a cap casualty. And it's like, where you guys been? And they must have missed what Andrew Barry said back in January. 
a UPS driver dropped off something to my porch today. It's the first time that I've had to sign for something in so long. And I opened the door, and the first thing he says is, I got to ask you, the Browns can't get rid of Nick Chubb, right? <laughs> and, and it's incredible how, how much of a talking point this has become and how, like, this w- was so unfathomable six months ago, right before the injury. Nothing in the NFL is off limits. You know this, especially with that position. If Nick Chubb comes back and he looks like Nick Chubb, I don't think there's any worries, right? This is a guy now who has an injury history with those knees. He is getting older, and I know his age in the scheme of all other humans on earth is not old, but in terms of NFL running backs, he is getting older. If he comes back and does not look like the same Nick Chubb that we have come to love in Cleveland, nothing is off limits. I am a believer that he's going to be on this football team this year. Uh, and then, you know, there, there will be tons of question marks after that when he's an unrestricted free agent. But nothing is off limits in the NFL. Not even fan favorites, heart of the city, running backs like Nick Chubb. Talking with John Doss here on the hotline. We'll, we'll go to Cavs here in a second, but I, I was talking to start the show off here just about, um, well, mostly just centered around like the cap space argument and, and the Deshaun contract and all these different things. But is I've been so curious this whole offseason because like bringing on Ken Dorsey to me feels like an admission almost that they, that, that Kevin Stefanski and what he wants to do just isn't necessarily the best fit for Deshaun Watson. Is the are the problems that have existed these first two years with these two together been more about just Deshaun hasn't been very good and he hasn't been the player that they thought they were getting or is it that it's like what Kevin Stefanski wants to do isn't necessarily what fits Deshaun's skill set or is it a mix of both? I think, I think if you ask Deshaun Watson behind a closed door and there was no camera and there was no microphone and um and you gave him some truth serum right he's not on a podcast. Very obviously, he has not played as well as as he thinks he should be playing. Nothing close to what we saw when he was an MVP candidate in in Houston. Nowhere close to that. And we've also seen that Kevin Stefanski, with a quarterback that suits his offense, can have immediate success. Even with the old guy, Joe Flacco, who got off the most famous couch in the NFL. So it's, it's somewhat of a combination of both. I don't think Watson has played well. And I don't think he fits the system. Now, I'm not blaming that on Watson because I think it is imperative in the NFL when you invest so much money into a quarterback with a specific set of skills that you tailor the offense around the quarterback. It's what Harbaugh did in Baltimore. He threw everything out. And look what has happened. It has led to tremendous success. If they want a Super Bowl, no. But it has led to tremendous success with Lamar Jackson because they, they turned that entire team around him. The Browns have not done that. And uh, this is now the second consecutive quarterback that has not necessarily fit Kevin Stefanski's mold. And the team has not acquiesced to that. And with Dorsey, it does feel a little bit like they're taking a step in that direction. This is a guy that had success as a quarterback coach with a similar skill set to Deshaun Watson with Josh Allen. And I, I think he's more an offensive coordinator. I think he's a quarterback coach for this team. And I think they're, they're taking a step in that direction. How can we alter what we do with this game plan and fit the strengths of our $40 million quarterback? I think that's well said. Uh, I'm going to pivot to the Cavs here because 
When I texted you about coming on with me tonight, your your response. Oh no, judge! Uh, your, your, careful, careful. All I no no I was gonna say was that Don't you throw me under the bus here. No 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 no, no. I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna do it that way. I was just gonna say your response was that you have some things you want to mention about the Don. You, you want to talk about Don? You want to talk about Darius Garland? I almost said Donovan Mitchell. So I was gonna I say think everybody wants to talk about. Yes, Darius well, well that, that was my. I, I'm not even gonna ask a question. I was just gonna let you have the floor to get off your chest what you have to say about about the problems with Darius Garland right now. Well, look, Donovan Mitchell didn't play last night. He's not playing tonight. You should be a worse team without your best player, yes. right? Yeah. Like, I'm going to rant about that later, yeah. This is not crazy that the Cavaliers would be worse without Donovan Mitchell. Question was, why were they so much better without Darius Garland? And I know that he has had moments. That step back that he had against Chicago, fantastic. Great. Uh, when the offense runs through Darius Garland, it is a slower offense. When this Cavs team has had success offensively this season, implementing J.B. Bickerstaff's new kind of run-and-gun offense, right? Yeah. It's when they're moving the ball. And all too often, I feel like we're watching Darius Garland, specifically last night. You can only dribble the ball so much, Spencer. And I just feel like the offense slows way down through him. And I don't think that it's a coincidence. I know he had his first double-double of the season last night. I don't think it's a coincidence that the offense looked considerably different when it was running through Darius Garland. Here's what I loved. When he came back from injury, and he was playing 18 to 22 minutes a game, and he was coming off the bench, and he was playing with that unit and could spell Donovan Mitchell and could give you 20 really good minutes. I love that. And I wish that the Cavaliers could implement that. The problem is, is you can't pay a guy $40 million to play 20 minutes a game. Yeah. Yeah. That makes the, the contract definitely makes it hard. I, I guess like the, one of the biggest things I noticed with his game right now, it just doesn't seem like he's as willing or he, he's just not able to get past people and like attack the way he used to. And I don't know, like how much of this maybe sluggish offense do you think is about just him kind of getting more, more and more comfortable coming back from that injury? Is that a factor at all you think? There are, in the NBA, everybody's very good, right? Yeah. Everybody's very yeah. good. Yeah, it's the best of the best. At that, and but cool. there's a difference between good players, great players, and killers. Donovan Mitchell is a killer. Jimmy Butler is a killer. Steph Curry is a killer. LeBron is a killer. Those are guys who, in the fourth quarter, they want the basketball. They want to go to the hoop. They want to score. Darius Garland does not do that in the fourth quarter. This is not me trying to pile on Darius Garland. Darius Garland's a very nice guy. He's a good player. And I think would be a great player at 18 to $20 million a season. But when the fourth quarter comes around and it's winning time, he's not that guy. He hasn't been that guy. And I don't know if it's a, you know, ever since Mitchell came to, to town, clearly this guy was an all-star just a few years ago. But there's something in him right now that he's not that guy. And that's fine. They got that guy. But again, the money is so important. Yeah. And uh, it just so, seems like he's not as confident as he needs to be in the fourth quarter. So what is the, how does this end? Then? Is this something that like, if Mitchell says he does want to stay, you can, you, you can make it work. Can it work together? Cause there are some advanced metrics that say they do play well together in certain areas. Um, or is it something where you're going to have to split them up somehow eventually? I think they can work well together, but again, everything comes back to the, to the dollar figure. Right. I think they can work well together and they have worked well together. 
My issue is when the offense has to run through Garland. I got you. Right? Yeah. When they're on yeah, the court yeah. together, or Mitchell's in the game and, and he's on the bench and Garland's in spelling him, that has worked. The problem is, is when Mitchell's unavailable. And if this entire team hinges on Mitchell's availability, well, that's going to be difficult. But you're right. They have to have some kind of assurance from Donovan Mitchell that he's going to be around before they can do anything. Or think about doing anything with Garland because you can't possibly be left with no Mitchell and no Garland. That would be a disaster. Unfortunately, Spencer, and you know this, Mitchell is not going to be able to give them any assurances this season and probably next season. Last thing to get you out of here, um, like last night, I didn't want to make a mountain out of a molehill first game back after the All-Star break, Um, but they did get pushed around a little bit. So I, I guess my question for you is, what is the biggest thing that you need to learn from this team down the stretch to feel comfortable about them making a deeper playoff run than, than obviously last year or, or you know, to, to give us what we're looking for, I guess? All right. I, I want to put you on the spot. Did you listen to the press conference after the game and the, and the locker room interviews? We did play the press conference afterwards. I remember vaguely some of what B- Bickerstaff said. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. Every time they say the word physicality, I wince a little bit. <laughs> It's like they're trying to convince themselves about it. Well, because I was at Madison Square Garden for games three and four, and that was the word we continued to throw around, physicality. The Cavs were bullied. The Cavs struggled for the most part against Chicago, made some big shots late, and ended up winning that game just before the All-Star break. But Chicago was the more physical team. Orlando, last night, that's a big team. They were the more physical team. No Donovan Mitchell, I understand but they bullied the Cavaliers. Now, for the first three-quarters of the two-thirds of the season, we thought, hey, the Cavs learned. They're not the same team we saw in New York last year. They're more physical. Jared Allen's having the best season of his career. Evan Mobley's figuring it out. And then we get these little glimpses, like we did last night, that if a team goes into Cleveland or is hosting the Cavs on the road and their game plan is to push Cleveland around, they are still susceptible to that. My hope is that the Cavs are the team we saw the first two-thirds of the season, and uh, and they learn continuously from nights like last night. But it is a little alarming, right, that that's all we talked about all offseason, and it looked like something that was fixed. And then now, twice in the last three games, we're seeing it again. He's John Doss, sports director at News Channel 5, WEWS. Always appreciate his time. Go ahead and uh, please apologize to your, your lovely wife for me. I, I don't mean to take you away from family time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more so that you're uh, – well, I guess you didn't take my money, but uh, I will do that. I'll see you at the poker table in a few weeks. Sounds good, John. I always appreciate you, my man. Take it easy. Some really good commentary from John Doss last segment. You can use the Rewind feature in the Odyssey app to go back and listen to that if you missed it. It'll also get posted here on the website in a little bit. You can find it there or uh, in the Odyssey app. We were theorizing, Jax and I, what we think the issue is with, with, with Garland. I, I, I do think his propensity to attack, and you brought up a good point, Jax, like you go back and watch his all-star season, and he looked fearless. Like it was, I'm going to attack, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dish this ball here in the corner. Like he, he could see everything so well. He was aggressive. He, he, had, he, he didn't lack any confidence. And it just seems like something about his game is dwindling right now. You kind of said you worried it was because of his time playing with Donovan Mitchell. 
But I kind of said it feels like because he's played with Donovan Mitchell, and it's not. The, and you you brought up a good point too, Jax, because you said it's not so much that they don't like each other or they don't think they can play together. And there are advanced numbers that show they can play well together. But I think it's just like when Donovan's not out there, or like on a night like tonight, or if he's supposed to be the one to kind of take charge, he doesn't really. I think he's just more timid about like where do I insert myself into things, and that's the difference between Donovan from his All Star season versus Donovan this year. Or I keep saying Donovan. I do this all the time with their names because they're both D names, and I flip it in my head. It's been a long week. It's Friday. I'm 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 off my rocker right now. But I think that's the difference between Darius that year where he was in he was in an All Star, and this year is just the fact that he. It's, I don't even want to say it's a lack of confidence because I believe that's still in there. Like, I don't think a guy just... Uh, I shouldn't say that because we saw it with Baker. Like, he lacked confidence for a period of time. I just think he doesn't know when he needs to take over and when he doesn't. And that was a really good play by by Darius. Fast break, dumped it off to Okoro for the bucket. Like, that's the type of stuff you want to see. And And look, like, I think he's having fun. I think some of this is... He was out for a period of time. The team sort of switched up what they were doing. And so he's trying to find where he fits. And maybe he's being over-aggressive at times. Or he's he's thinking too much at times. And the same way we were talking about Deshaun Watson overthinking, maybe the same thing's happened with Darius Garland. But, yeah, like, there's just something off about his game where he's not really beating people to the cup when he does attack. And it just seems like there's almost a roadblock there for him of some capacity. I, I don't... I can't fully diagnose it and assess it. Only he really knows what's kind of going on between the ears and in his head. But it's it's one of those things that they're going to have to clean up because in the playoffs, like, you don't want to see Darius Garland lacking any confidence. Now, I will get to another rant later off of the subject of being without Donovan Mitchell because we, just, we, we, we love to go for, like, the low-hanging fruit when we argue about these types of things and like the Cavs losing last night, but I'll explain more later. I want to stay with the Darius Garland thing right now. And just your biggest concern with this Cavaliers team right now is the second. I always, I don't want to say the second half. I try to catch myself the final third of the season uh, gets rolling because they lose last night. And I know there were some people who wanted to make that game indictment on the team in some capacity. I wasn't ready to go there. Because it was the first game after the All-Star break and you didn't have Donovan Mitchell, all these different all these different factors, I, I think that matters. And we can't forget that context. But there was a glaring thing from last night that you just hope doesn't become a trend. And that's that Mo Wagner was absolutely bullying them inside to the beat of 22 points. And in some way, made the Cavs look kind of silly last night. So, that's been, uh, and and I love what John said, because if you go back and you listen to the audio, we'll actually, we'll, we'll find the JB audio from last night. We'll try to play you something here on the, on the way back for this next segment. But, when Bickerstaff has to, I, I said the same thing about Ryan Day this past season in college football. Ryan Day went out of his way. No, I, I didn't mean to be a poet there. But Ryan Day went out of his way to constantly talk about how tough his team was. That was that was the basis 
that is what sparked that rant that he had after the Notre Dame game. It was all about toughness because Lou Holtz said his team wasn't tough and everybody was doubting if his team was tough because the way Michigan beat him the last two years, they were a finesse team and Michigan was this hard-nosed Big Ten team and they took it to Ohio State two years in a row, now three years in a row. Everybody was questioning their toughness and saying, like, you're not good enough for this team. You don't know how to win a physical game. You can only win when you're trying to, like, run and gun and, th- and air it out and throw it all across, all around the field. And that's not how every team's going to be. T- every team's going to play you. Sometimes you got to play a different style. And he wasn't really good at that. So then you have this grinded-out game where you win on a walk-off touchdown against Notre Dame, and it f- sparked this rant inside, this fire inside Ryan Day that he brought to the surface and unleashed with Lou Holtz catching the brunt of the the shots fired there, and people were all ready to ridicule Ryan Day for going after an old man. I thought it was great and hilarious, but I understand why people were saying that. My big point at the time, though, in criticism of Ryan Day was just simply that he finds any way he can to work in commentary about how physical his team is or how tough his team is or that people are questioning his team's toughness and they come out and prove that they are tough by winning a game like that. And to his point, like, in that moment, in that game, there wasn't a lot of questioning the t- of the toughness of this Ohio State team. That was a very grinded-out game against a ranked team. You were trying to get the job done, finish that team off, get a big win, and you pulled it off. I think that game actually did prove a lot about Ohio State's toughness. But we're still asking those questions. And But, but it, when push came to shove, they were... They were better against Michigan, but they got out tough again. And the same thing applies to the Cavs. We think that they're a little bit tougher. We think that the scars of how that playoff appearance a year ago went is going to impact the way they played this year. We've seen some signs that they're trying to be a little bit tougher. Um, Evan Mobley put on more weight, all these different, or, or more muscle, like all these different things. But until you prove it on the court in the playoffs, I think there's going to be there's always going to be questions about it. Like that's just going to be a cloud that hangs over you. And so yes, that's the one thing I take away from last night amidst understanding that it is the first night after the All-Star break and that you didn't have Donovan Mitchell and all these different things. The one thing I take away is okay, I'm bookmarking just like I do on X. I'm bookmarking this moment and if we get to the playoffs and they get pushed around again, we can go back and say on De- on February, I almost said December, on February 22nd, the Cavs got pushed around by the Magic. And it very much was a sign that this team wasn't quite ready and wasn't quite changed from their experience from a year ago to be a tougher team this time around. We'll see. But yes, that is a true concern I have with this team moving forward. We'll try to find some of that J.B. Bickerstaff audio. We'll keep the conversation going. How worried are you about the Cavs' toughness level and physicality level as we get closer and closer to the playoffs, especially after that loss last night to Orlando where it seemed like they were the tougher team on defense and just kind of muscled their way to a victory that you felt like the Cavs could have won even without Donovan Mitchell. 216-474-0092 on Twitter at Spencito underscore. We'll do that next. We'll have that convo continuing. Then at at 9 o'clock, hot take Friday. 20 minutes away. Get the takes ready. We'll do it coming up at 9 here on The Fan. J.B. Bickerstaff last night, audio courtesy of Bally Sports, Great Lakes. What I think is interesting with that clip, he wasn't talking about his team's physicality. He was talking about Mo Wagner's physicality. 
But it just sounded like he was making excuses. Like, oh, he gets to launch himself into the into everybody over and over and over again. And, you know, we can't really do anything about that. And they're calling a lot of fouls. And uh, so it's like instead of trying to get his guys to understand what that gray area is that Mo Wagner operates in and allow them to do that, they just don't really ever do it. Like, we want to see that kind of an action. And so, yeah, again, I'm not trying to overreact to one game, first game back from the All-Star break. But if there's one thing I take away from last night that I'm concerned about, it's that trend still being a thing with this team as we get to this time of year. Like, March is almost upon us. It's here in a week. And the fact that we are still asking ourselves if this team is going to be physical enough and tough enough is honestly a problem to me. 216-474-0092. We got Hot Take Friday coming up in 15 minutes. It's easy to participate. You just call in at the number I just shared, and you give us your hottest takes on anything from movies, food, music, sports, whatever. As long as it's not government conspiracy theories, we'll uh, we'll get through it okay. We want your hot takes coming up at 9 o'clock. I got a couple. I'm sure Jax has a couple. We'll see what McKenzie has as well. And it should be a lot of fun. We'll get to the phones here in a second. I do want to remind you guys, though, Daryl Ryder and Andy Baskin discussed the latest news surrounding the Cleveland Browns Stadium and try to answer the question, is there a dome in the future for Northeast Ohio? During the new episodes of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland, subscribe now at 92thefan.com or in the Odyssey app. Talking about the Cavs and your biggest concern with the team so far this season as we get closer and closer to the playoffs, if the physicality thing is a problem for you, uh, we go to the phones. Let's get Larry and O'Leary. You're up next. What's up, Larry? Hey, how's it going, Spencer? Good, man. What's up? Great. Uh, yeah, you, you tell the situation. We played these guys in Cleveland last time. The ball was moving, Spencer. The, the ball was moving. They were shooting well from the outside. They weren't pounding the ball. These last two games, you see what we're doing? We're pounding the ball again. You know what I mean? There's no ball movement. There's no yeah. space. That's what the problem is right now. We're going back the same way again. To neutralize those big guys in the middle, you expose them, run the ball down the throat, make them, uh, you know, sit down to paint, and that's it. They can't hang with us. But we just don't have that shooting right yeah. now. That's the problem. We're, we're, I watch Darius right now, and the decision-making too sometimes, it's the same thing again. And we can't let that happen. We got to keep saying the same way when Evan and, and Darius was out and, and play that same type of ball move. We should be fine, though. Well, and to your point, um, I, I just saw this. I was looking at the halftime stats here. And the Cavs, at this point in the game, going into the half, they have only attempted nine three-pointers for right. a team that has been throughout the season top 10 in three points attempted per game at a clip of 36.8. So, yes, like you have to account for the fact that Mitchell's not out there and that's obviously hurting the cause in that regard because he's going to take threes for you. But for the for the drop-off to be this severe, I mean, I forget how many they took last night, but it was definitely down from what they're normally taking in games. And to like, I think that, that sort of reemphasizes or highlights what you're alluding at, Larry. The ball right. movement just isn't there, and the spacing, like where they're doing this, it's a lot more taking the air out of the ball offensively in the half court right. rather than trying to pass the ball around and make create opportunities for other people. Exactly. I'll think about it. Spencer, you said Spencer. That's the case. Uh, uh, Don is out, right? 
Darius was out, what was happening? You, you see what I'm saying? Right. That's all it takes. If these guys could play, they should have saw that. Yeah, JB, that's up to JB, too. He's the guy make sure the ball's moving, man. We'll be fine. As long as we keep doing what we're doing, because we're so deep right now, Spencer, and these other teams to go against, we, we should have all kinds of firepower off the bench. Yeah. And that's that is that is definitely yeah the the depth thing and I appreciate the call is always there I appreciate you calling in the depth is always or is for sure a strength this year for this team and I, it's funny because I thought they were going to be deep last year when you still had K Love you had Dean Wade who they were obviously very optimistic about and gave him the contract extension before the season even started like there was reason to believe that they were going to be a deep team a year ago I think this year. That is a legitimate strength for them that they have a bench that is nine to ten players deep, which is something that J.B. Bickerstaff has said he's not as comfortable with. But if he can get comfortable with it and figure out what the right sort of rotations are and how to mix and match these players, then, yeah, everything should be okay. I still think this team's good enough to get out of the first round. But, man, like, watching that game last night in the capacity I could while I was here – and then when I got home, I sort of put it on like a I, I do I do like a mini rewatch when I can, where it's like a fast forwarded version. You get the 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 basics. Um, I don't necessarily watch every single play intently. I fast forward a little bit, but you, you you get the gist of it. Like it allows me to get a better perspective of like how things went and played out and and what all happened. And so to see the physicality of Mo Wagner really wearing this team down yesterday. Yeah, I, 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 again, wasn't trying to make it the end-all be-all last night on the air because, again, there's a lot of context as to why the team didn't play well coming out of the All-Star break, for sure. But that is one thing that I'm just, you know, putting in the memory bank. And if we're talking about this team come April getting bounced in the playoffs because they're playing a team that was more physical than them yet again then, of course, I'm going to come back and circle this game. I'm circling it now. I'm going to come back to the game last night that I circled and say, this was the point where we had questions about whether or not this team had truly learned their lesson or learned how to be and play that more physical brand of basketball. If we're still asking ourselves that, come April, then, yeah, we can point back at some of these games and say, see, this was a sign that uh, things that, that that was still a problem for this group. We'll see how the rest of the tonight goes, but there's some valid points made by Larry who just called in moments ago and, and points to just the stagnant offense without Mitchell. And I bring up the fact that they're not shooting as many threes, only nine threes tonight, and they're sh- they only shot nine threes, and they're shooting 55% from three. That's the wild thing. It's like they're making them tonight – but they're still not really taking them. So what's what's the problem? Is it strictly just that Garland's out there and, and the offense becomes a, uh, a like just sluggish and a stick in the it's a stick in the mud, or is this still post All Star game just feeling things out, or is it just that you need Donovan Mitchell out there to really get the flow of this thing going? which is fine, by the way, which I I alluded to, I'll get to a little bit later in, in a rant that I have. But I just... I don't want it to be the case that last night should be a barometer 
on what we're going to see from this team come April. But yeah, like if we keep seeing signs that they're just not a physical team, we just got to kind of, at some point, we're going to have to admit it, even if it means that the the playoffs don't go the way that we hope. I, I, I sincerely hope we're wrong. I do. We're going to have to see how this thing sort of plays out here in the down the stretch of the season. There's a lot of tough opponents on here. You got you got Jokic on there. Um, you got Timberwolves a couple times with Cat and Anthony Edwards, who are physical guys. Um, you got the Celtics, who play some physical defense against you, especially when you got Drew Holiday on the perimeter. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of opponents that are going to try to exploit that about you because that's not the narrative about you from that Knicks series last year. They're going to have to see if they're up to the challenge and if they actually have changed or if it's just going to end up being more of the same. If you want to jump in on the Cavs at all tonight, you can at 216-474-9092. If you want to jump in via social media, you can hit me up on Twitter at Spencito underscore, and I will also follow up with you there, reply to you there, read your tweets, get them on the air here. I will be coming back to the Cavs because... Without Donovan Mitchell, I don't really know what people expect. But we always go to this easy, low-hanging fruit argument, and I kind of just want to slap people in the face and say, well, yeah, no duh. Also, that's going to be your quarterback room in this economy. We'll do that coming up here in the 9 o'clock hour. But before we do any of those things, before we get to any other topics of conversation tonight, we have a very important segment. That is set to go down in about seven minutes and 20 seconds. Well, a little more than that because you got to do McKenzie's 2020. Ten minutes, we'll say. In about ten minutes from now, we will be starting with the intro music, Hot Take Friday. If you don't know how it works, if you're new to the game, it's simple. You give us a call at 216-474-0092. We want to hear your hottest takes about anything that's on your mind. As long as it's not government conspiracy theories. I know it's an election year. I know you guys want to talk about that stuff. This isn't the outlet to talk about it. Save that for uh, whatever anonymous YouTube channel that you watch and in the comments section or, or Facebook. Facebook is really good for that type of stuff. Not overtime with Jonathan Peterman. We don't want your government conspiracy theories, but we want your hot takes about anything else, sports, food, movies, music. It can be any all, any or all of the above, except for the one thing I let told you to leave out. We're going to go around the room. We'll share some of ours. We also want to hear yours. 216-474-0092. You can tweet them to me as well, at Spencito underscore. We're going to do that next. Hot Take Friday on a cold winter's night in February here in downtown Cleveland. Coming your way next on 92 Through the Fan.